share a story. Now, I've shared this story before. Maybe maybe some of you have heard me tell this more than once. Um, but we have new people. I'm going to introduce our new members at the end of the service. Uh, whoever's here, first service. Many of them actually attend second service. But um, And Tara gets to come up twice if she's in here both services. We'll see. But, uh, but um, So I got a story. I don't mind telling this story again because I got I to gotta keep telling my past to the new people here so you get to know me, right? So I'm going to take you back to about the year 2001-2002. Kami and I were dating. We were in college. And some of you know, uh, if you've talked to Kami, Kami will say, I'm a better wife than I was a girlfriend. Now the reason she says that is because when we were dating, she had difficult letting me know she liked me. She, didn't, she did like me, but it was hard for her to say it. It was just almost too vulnerable. She didn't want to say anything so committal until she knew she wanted to marry me, and so it made for difficult dating. And I remember there were a couple nights where this was tricky, but there was one night where Kami was kind of tired of the drama, and she knew that, I mean, there was just drama. We were just, I was trying to figure out why she was dating me when she couldn't tell me she liked me, and, and, I, and we were, we went, I remember we went to like our, uh, we were a part of a Christian movement, and I think we went to the weekly meeting, and then we went to Steak and Shake afterwards, because it was open late. And Kami's kind of sharing her heart, and I'm, I think she's assuming that I'm going to hear all this and be like, you're right, it's too hard, let's just end it. But what Kami doesn't know is that that week I was in a season of my relationship with Jesus where I was journaling my prayers. Highly recommend that if you're newer to the faith and you're finding ways to connect to Jesus. I, I was writing out my prayers. It was really helpful. I, I, didn't, I didn't share that thing with anybody else, but I wrote it out to Jesus. And I remember, now most of my prayer time, and I like to say this so you don't get false. Most of my prayer time, nothing happens. I just want you to know that. I don't talk about them because nothing happens. I pray because it's important and I want to be with Jesus, but I don't always hear anything. But this week I did. I did because God speaks sometimes and I hear it. And I was kind of praying about my relationship with, I was very much praying about my relationship with Kami, and I was frustrated. And I really did feel the impression of the Holy Spirit saying, Jeff, stay where you are. And I remember wrestling with that. Well, it is drama, and it's hard, and I don't like that it's hard, and what if she dumps me first? (laughs) And I remember the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter what she does. There was no, like, this is going to be your wife. None of that. It was just, stay where you are. So Kami shares her heart and just assumes that I'm going to be like, yeah, it's too hard. But I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but God said to me, stay where you are. So I said, if you need to end it, I can handle it, right? Like, it, it, I'm fine. But if it's up to me, I'm going to stay where we are. So we leave Steak and Shake and we get in my, I missed this, 1986 Honda Accord. It's such a great car. Two-door, just this tiny little thing. Where the, remember, the, the lights would pop up, you know, like, like eyeballs. I thought that was so cool. Anyway, so we're sitting in front of Kami's house. She lived with four other girls in college. And I didn't know this at the time, but we've been married 17 years, so I know this now. Kami doesn't put things off. That's just not her persona. She's, so she's got this decision to make about her relationship. And I'm like, go in, talk to your roommates, pray, talk to your mom, your discipler. Think about it. We can connect tomorrow. Kami's like, nope, deciding right now. So we're sitting, and some of you know the story because you're, we're sitting in the car, 
And Kami's just, it's just like she's, what am I going to do? Am I going to end this thing? Or are we going to keep going? And so she finally looks over at me and she says, I don't not like you. I don't not want to date you. And I had to think about, okay, double negative. What is she saying? And this, I didn't, I didn't say this exactly, but this is basically, and this will set us up for our sermon. I don't not want to date you. I remember thinking, I can work with that. I can work with that. It may be better if she could say she wanted to date me, but that's not where she's at. I can work with that. And I have, 21 years later, I can't imagine life without her, right? It's been good. But, but that's how we started. It was a little rocky. We'll, we'll swing back to that. I want to remind you what we're in, because we'll, we'll walk through this as well a little bit. We're in a series where we're, we're going through the Gospels and we're learning the church calendar as a discipleship tool. Uh, we're, we're going through the 12-month calendar seasons, not because God arbitrarily follows a 12-month cycle in our discipleship relationship with him, but because each season is meant to train us to be disciples. And we're really trying to read the Gospels as if they're discipleship manuals teaching us how to follow Jesus. So I'll remind you of this because we'll come back to this, but the church year begins with Advent. That's that little blue thing over there. Advent, that's where, and, and what we, what, if you remember, what we do in Advent is we prepare. It's the beginning, we're, we're preparing for God to come. We're waiting on God. We talk about that a lot. Now, is that because God always just makes us wait in November, December? No. It's because all of us know a time in our discipleship journey where we've been waiting, where it's felt like we've been waiting for God, so we practice. And then Christmas comes and we celebrate because, because the yes and amen to every one of God's promises comes in Jesus. And so we love Christmas. God is here. God, Emmanuel, God is among us. God is with us. And now we're in the season of Epiphany. It's the fifth Sunday after Epiphany. And what we're, what we're focusing in on now is the manifestation of Jesus as the Son of God. So Christmas has come and God is here, but now, now we're learning about Jesus. And I don't care where you're at on your spiritual journey, whether you walked into church for the first time or logged in for the first time this morning or whether you've been doing this for 70 years, you still have things to learn about Jesus. And so we need Epiphany to remind us, to, to, to re-enter into the gospel stories and come afresh to the person of Jesus, ready to learn about him as if we know nothing. Because this is God in human flesh, the infinite one. So we're just at the beginning. We're, we're, we're looking at stories at the beginning of Jesus' gospel story in, in Epiphany. The disciples, I mean, we're just getting, the disciples are just getting to know him. So we're in Luke chapter 5 this morning. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 5, read verses 1 to 11. It's a beaut- I love this story. It's a, I had a lot of fun in this story this week. This is how it goes. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, probably, you'll see why I'm saying this, probably in the morning, great crowds, so picture Jesus, he's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, this big giant lake, great crowds pressed into him to listen to, and I I love, I was just appreciating how Luke writes the story, to listen to the word of God. Because Jesus is preaching, so they've come to hear the word of God, but we know that Jesus is the word of God. So they're listening to the word of God in many ways as Jesus preaches. 
And it's a short story, just 11 verses, so Luke's not wasting time, so every detail probably plays a significant role in what he's trying to communicate about Jesus, about discipleship. What do we learn? Right away, he tells us there's two empty boats at the water's edge. Why do we need to know there's two? Well, we keep reading. There's two, two empty boats. For the fishermen, and pay attention to this because I think this is important, and we'll come back to this when we get into the mind of Peter. The fishermen had left them, and they were washing their nets. I think it's an important detail. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, this is Simon Peter, to push it out into the water because the people were crowding in. And, and honestly, the Sea of Galilee, there are some places where it's almost like a natural amphitheater. So just get a little bit out in the water, and then Jesus can speak to all these crowds. So Jesus sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now why don't you go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish? <laughs> now they have been fishing all night. So, so you would imagine he's cleaning up his nets. He's, he's ready to go home and go to bed. But he's met Jesus before. Uh, if, you've, if we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has already healed his mother-in-law from a sickness. So he knows Jesus, so there's some kind of connection, and uh, he, he, he does what Jesus is. I mean, you can feel the tension. I, I, I connect with Simon Peter in a lot of ways, but one of them, I think he's a verbal processor. Maybe some other verbal pro. I don't know what I'm thinking until I say it out loud, which gets me in trouble sometimes, but it's true. So I feel that here with Simon. Jesus says, why don't you go over there and, and throw down your nets again? He's, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. I can't believe you're asking me to do this. Oh, I'm so tired. I just want to go home and go to bed. But he's thinking through, well, he healed my mother. There's, there's something about Jesus. I mean, this is a tired, no-nonsense fisherman. And yet there's something about Jesus that makes him do what he says. And so he says, if you say so, I'll do, I'll do it again. I'll do, I've done it. It's almost the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But I'll do it, Jesus. You said so. And this time, I love this. I went capital, and this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. And then a shout went out, and they brought their partners in the other boat. And soon, here's the two boats. That's why we needed to know about them. Both boats are filled with fish, and they're not just filled. They're on the verge of sinking. This is a catch that these, these are professional fishermen. They've never seen anything like this before. One of a kind. And it moves Simon Peter. He's moved. And, and when, when he realizes, when, when, it all, when, when, he, when he takes in, I mean, he's probably so, I think when he realizes, because he, he's probably so busy just getting, get the fish in the boat, keep the boat steady. It's like a 20 or 30 foot boat. Don't let it fall. And then when, when he finally has a marginal moment to, to consider what happens, he falls on his knees before Jesus. Lord, leave me. Depart from me. L let me be. I'm a sinner. Oh, Jesus, I am such a sinful man. I just can't, I, I can't even fathom being in your presence right now. Just, just go. I, I can't be near you. He's awestruck by the number of fish. This miracle and the others were too. So were James and John, his partners. They're amazed. But I want you to see, because there's a huge, there's, there's several discipleship lessons that we're going to lean into this morning. But 
just hear what Jesus says. This is where we'll start. Jesus looks at Simon Peter and says, don't be afraid. Well, let's have an always say to everybody. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, from now on, something happened, something changed. You've, you're, you're seeing maybe for the first time, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. And then as soon as they landed, I mean, it's such a monumental moment. And you think about what Peter and his brother Andrew is fishing with them likely, and James and John, what they're going to go on to do. <laughs> it's major. I think from now, as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. All right, so let's get a little bit more into this story. Peter is watching all of this unfold, this miracle. He has a moment to pause, to take it in. And it's too much for him. I mean, being a disciple means being a learner. And Peter's beginning to see how much he has to learn. And Peter looks at Jesus. He says, forget about me. I mean, go on. You're doing something. You're you're beyond me. Forget about me. I'm a sinner. I'm a bad guy. And this is, is in essence, what I think Jesus is saying. That's why I started the sermon the way I did. (laughs) Peter says, I'm a sinner. Jesus says, I can work with that. It's not a problem. I can work with that. In fact, I can work, and you're going to work with me, right? I'm going to make you fishers of people. You're going to work with me. But Jesus, I'm a sinner. Get away. Ah, I can work with that. If you read through the rest of Luke chapter 5, it's, I mean, this is the first place we see the word sinner in Luke's gospel, but we're going to find out very clearly that Jesus came for, guess who? Sinners. And guess who are the only people Jesus calls to do his work with him? Sinners. <laughs> That's what he's about. That's what he's come to do. He's come to forgive sin. He's come to set us free. Peter says, I'm a sinner. Jesus says, I can work with that. And Peter's humility reflects the openness of somebody who's ready to have their life transformed. So let's pause and think about this for a second. Jesus has, I mean, this is basic gospel stuff, but I like to preach this a lot. I don't care. Jesus has a predictable response for sinners. He forgives them. (laughs) In fact, Christians believe that the solution to the problem of sin is found in the forgiveness of Jesus. If we read through, if you keep reading in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 5, you're going to get to the calling of Matthew, another sinner, a tax collector. (laughs) And Jesus is going to kind of wrap up that story in Luke's account by saying this. Healthy people don't need a doctor. (laughs) Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. The humble, the disenfranchised, who know they're sinners. Peter thinks he's saying, I can't work with you. And Jesus says, the fact that you said that means you can. You know you're a sinner. You know you're sick. And this is one of, I mean, there's so many metaphors for sin in the Bible as we try to map our mind around what is this thing, this entity that has corrupted our soul. But here we have a metaphor of a disease. It's fitting in the midst of this pandemic that we've been walking through that we can think about a disease pretty easily these days. (laughs) Well, Jesus is calling sin a disease. And he's the healer. I mean, he's the cure. And, And he has an antidote. I mean, Peter kind of reveals, I think, three symptoms. Depart from me, I'm a sinner. I, I think in this, we, we, we hear a little bit of shame. Oh, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Some insecurity with that. 
And then, and then this sense, almost this, this feeling that because of my shame and my insecurity, I need to be isolated and alone. And Dr. Jesus, who comes to heal us, I mean, six sinners who hang out with Jesus get better. They get cured. And Dr. Jesus comes, and, and, and his prescription for us six sinners is it begins with forgiveness. And what does forgiveness do? Psh, shame is gone. And then comes acceptance. I can work with you. <laughs> but Jesus, you know, I know your story. I can work with you. Don't worry. Forgiveness and then acceptance. Sometimes we say here at Cross, you come as you are. Now don't stay there. <laughs> Repent. Believe. Begin anew. Be born again. But come as you are. You're welcome here. Forgiveness, then acceptance. And then Jesus offers friendship. I'm going to work with you. We're going to figure this out together. And I hope, I mean, we try to lean into this from time to time, but I hope you see how some of that is really important if we're going to be transformed. Because shame and insecurity and isolation, when left untended to, what it does, it just drives the sin in our life underground. And we hide it and we pretend like it's not there. The shame is too much. Our insecurity is too... Our isolation keeps us out of community. And, we, and, it, and it just continues to infect us and contaminate us and corrupt us. But what Jesus has done is he comes and he brings light into the darkness. And he speaks forgiveness to our shame. So that it can be brought into the light and, and vanquished. Defeated on the cross, right? He speaks acceptance into our insecurity. No, I love you. I came for you. I died for you. You were lost and I came to find you. And so he brings us into the belonging. Friendship. I don't want you to be isolated alone. I want to do life with you and I want to introduce you to your brothers and sisters in the church. I want to heal you. Jesus is the cure. His presence is really a long-term cure. If we will be with Jesus, we will find ourselves changed. It's one of the reasons why we spend so much time talking about Jesus, wanting to encounter Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, because he really is the cure. Yes, there are things that we can do, and if it's something Jesus said, we should do it. It's his command, and we should follow. We'll find life and purpose and meaning. But we keep pointing people to Jesus. Jesus is the cure for our sick souls. But I also want to remind you that it's a journey. We're in the season of epiphany. We're learning about Jesus. He's manifesting his presence. We're learning that he's the son of God. But it, it takes time. This is the other reason why I love Peter in these gospel stories. Because he's, he's got lots to learn. So he kind of gets called into this ministry here in Luke chapter 5. When he, he recognizes his sin and Jesus says, I can work with that. I forgive you. We're going to be fine. But he doesn't really understand forgiveness yet. It's one of these things that we talk a lot about here at Crossview, that there's a lot of stuff up here in our head. And it's good that it's there. But it doesn't really change you until the Holy Spirit drives it down into your heart. It's one thing to be able to quote Bible verses. It's another thing to be able to live as if they're true. It's one thing to be able to say, yeah, God loves me. It's another thing to be able to wake up in the morning knowing that God loves It's one thing to say, I I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It's another thing to know that you're free from shame and guilt. It's different. 
And Peter himself, he has a lot to learn. So if we fast forward in the story to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, it's this, I love Peter. Because I picture he's so proud. He's so impressed with himself. Hey, Jesus, I'm learning about forgiveness. Remember when you called me, forgave me, said I'm a sinner, you said we can work with that. I remember that. I'm learning about forgiveness, Jesus. I'm hearing these parables. I'm learning about the kingdom of God. So Jesus, how many times do we forgive people? Seven, huh? Seven, Jesus, seven. And I think Peter's expecting like a gold star. You you finally got it, Peter. But Jesus just kind of like, I don't know, lovingly rolls his eyes. Peter, 70 times seven. (laughs) We do not put limits on the forgiveness and grace and mercy and love of God. Peter, you still have so much to learn. And I, and I like to remind us of this because I think sometimes we think, well, first of all, we live in this instant gratification culture. So if I'm not matured now, what's wrong with it? No, it's a journey. It's a journey. It took Peter a long time, and, and the incarnate Jesus was walking with him. It's a journey for us. And so we grow, and we actually maybe embody the fruit of the Spirit and live with patience. We're patient with each other. We're patient with ourselves. We don't want to stay where we are. We keep pressing on to be more like Jesus, but we're patient. We have a lot to learn, and I will tell you, as we've been talking about the kingdom of God, and we talk about the mercy and forgiveness and grace and love of God, you and I are not accustomed to it. It's radical. It should challenge you. You should have times when you get it wrong because it's so awesome, and we're learning it because we're disciples. We have been trained, we've been corrupted by sin, and we want to keep minimizing love and mercy and forgiveness. And God keeps, no, no, it's not seven, 70 times seven. It's even better than you ever imagined. Shouldn't mess with this. And Peter calls Jesus master. Well, what is Jesus the master of? What are, what are we learning? If, if he was a Taekwondo master, we would assume that he was teaching us Taekwondo. But what is, so he's not. What does Jesus teach? He's, he's the master of life. Jesus is the master of life. He is the embodiment, both of who God is and also what it means to be human. Jesus lives the perfect life. And so we learn from Jesus how to live. He's the master of living well, of living rightly, of living truly. He's the master of what it means to be human. And I think we see him teaching Peter this in a very practical, powerful way in the story. So I want us to get inside of Peter's mind. I kind of did a little bit, but let's revisit that. So Peter, he's been working all night with his brother Andrew and James and John. They're, 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 they've been working together, and, and they just finished, and they just cleaned their nets, and they're ready to go to bed, and Jesus is preaching. And they know Jesus. They've interacted with him. But he, he comes up, and he kind of enters into their world, uninvited. Peter, take me out in your boat. Oh, I want to go to bed, Jesus. All right. So then he goes out, and you guys are feeling tired listening to me preach. Peter's been up all night. So he's probably like, listen, and I think he's actually very interested in what Jesus is saying. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be? But he's also tired, and he's just like, what are you going to be done? I'm going to go to bed. And then Jesus says, well, let's go over there and throw those nets out again. I cleaned them. I don't want it. And I've done this. But because it's you, all right. And this is what I got hung up on this week. I think there's a lot of cool things you could get hung up on in this story. But I was thinking about this. Jesus comes to Peter and he doesn't ask him to do anything he's never done before. 
In fact, he doesn't even ask him to do anything he hasn't done in the last 12 hours. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, have you heard of a fishing pole? Have you tried fly fishing? The net's not where Try fly. Hey, maybe it's just the lake. Let's go around the hill to another pond. and let... Maybe it's your partners, James and John. Have you thought about getting new partners? He doesn't say any of that. He says, take that same net that you used all night and throw it over there. <laughs> but this is the difference. Jesus says you're going to do it again, but this time you're going to do it with me. Now, I want to leave Peter's mind, and I want you to try, if you will, for the next few minutes, kind of enter into your world. Maybe you begin by thinking about something that you're really good at. You know you're good at it. You're good at this thing. But maybe recently you just haven't been as good at it as you were before. Maybe you think of something in your life, and ask the Holy Spirit to bring something to mind that you've been trying and trying and trying, and you're just... You're tired. It's not working. You're doing your best. You've thought through it a lot. It's just not working out. And I want us to practice the church calendar as we've learned it so far. I want you to go there, this place that you've you've even been good at this before, but it's just not working out. And I want you to practice Advent. I want you to find your place of poverty. And I want you to sit there. And I want you to wait for Jesus. I want you to feel what Peter was feeling. I just want to go to bed. I'm tired. Don't ask me to do something else. And maybe for you, maybe, maybe even as you try to go there, it's bringing up shame. Maybe you're feeling insecure, anxious about what others might think, what God might think. Certainly in this pandemic, you're feeling some degree of isolation or alone. And if you think you're the only one feeling that, you're not. We're all feeling that right now. That's why we're so hungry for community. We practice Advent. We find that place where we've just been doing it over and over, and it's just not working, and we wait. And because God works in different ways, His timing is always perfect. For some of us, Christmas is coming today. Some of us might have to wait a little longer, but Christmas is going to come. And so we practice Christmas. And and the yes and amen to every one of God's promises comes to fulfillment in our lives in Jesus. And then we move into Epiphany. And so what happens in Epiphany? Well, God is here now, but we're learning about him. We haven't got it all figured out. We got a lot of stuff in our head. It's not all the way down in our heart yet. So we're talking to Jesus. And we're like, Jesus, you don't know me. Leave me be, I'm a sinner. And I just want you to hear, if you've, if you've transitioned out of Advent into Christmas and now you're into Epiphany in, in your season of life, Jesus says to you, I can work with you. I've come to work with you and you're going to work with me. And then what I need you to do is do whatever Jesus says. Now he may just whisper it into your head. It may come from a sermon, it may come from music you're listening to, it could come from the radio, it could from a friend at church may say something, it may come from a book you're reading, it may come from your time in scripture, but Jesus is the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He may say, stay where you are. He said that to people at times, stay where you are. He may say, follow me, we're going to go fishing for people over here. He may say, cast your nets. Do what you've been doing, but do it differently with me this time. And I will, because I'm the master of life, I will make it all work. So that your boats are overflowing and it seems like they're going to sink. <laughs> right? he, may, he may just say, because you may be in a difficult, he may just say to you, 
I'm with you. So hold on to me. I think some of you need to hear that today. Jesus is saying, I'm with you. I'm right here. Hold on to me. Just cling to me like Mary cling to the resurrected Jesus in the Gospel of John. He may say, repent. He may say, change your ways. No, no, no. The reason why you're feeling what you're feeling is because you're making really bad, selfish, prideful decisions. Yes, you're a sinner and I've come to set you free. Repent. I don't know what he's going to say. He's going to have the perfect thing for each one of us because that's how Jesus works. It's good news. But listen and respond. And when God does move, I do not want us to be a church that has become dull and numbed by consumerism, (laughs) by technology, by the entertainment industry. I want us to be a people who live with wonder and amazement. I talk a lot about our imagination here because I want us to recultivate our imaginations. A lot of our culture in modern-day Babylon is deadening our imagination. I want to reawaken it. I want us to live with wonder and awe. Because Peter and James and John and Andrew, they had amazement, wonder, awe. It it elicited all this curiosity from them. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons. I mean, there's something powerful about the presence and word of Jesus that they just said yes to. But some of it was they're really curious. They're still learning. How can he do these things? I just want want to learn. What's Jesus? What's he going to do next? I want to be there to see it. Wonder and awe and amazement. I've been trying to cultivate that because I've, I've gotten more time with, with many of you in our church in the last couple of weeks, which I've been, a lot of one-on-one, I've been really thankful for that. And I'm seeing God moving, I've been telling you that. And, um, and I just wanted to share one story as we wrap it up because I, I found myself, and I don't know that I can communicate what I was feeling, I don't need to, but I found myself feeling some of this awe and wonder this week. Uh, there's a lady in our church, I asked for permission to share this story, but she ended up in the hospital for several days. She's had a lot of medical complications through her time, and this was new. And I went in to be with her and her husband in the hospital and to pray together and just try to be a presence of comfort. And I could just see it in her eyes. Jeff, I'm just tired. I got all this other stuff, and this is something else. I just, I'm just so tired. And, I mean, it's kind of scary. I won't go into medical detail, but... Part of her body had just shut down. It just wasn't working. And, and they weren't sure they were going to get it working again. And so there was lots to be concerned about. And so we prayed together. It's just great. Just pointing her to Jesus. That's really a lot of what I do as a pastor, right? That's what we want to be about as a church. Just point. And I think Jesus was in the room and brought comfort. The three of us together, we prayed. Comfort. Well, I head home. Her husband has to leave for the night because of the hospital. And around 2.30 in the morning, she's awake. And she just starts to get attacked by the enemy, flooded with all this anxiety. And she calls her husband, I I need you here. I need you here. He's like, honey, they won't let me come. It's the middle of the night. They don't let us in. (laughs) I need somebody here. I'm, I'm scared. I'm anxious. And lo and behold... A brother in Christ here at Crossview is working on the hallway at the hospital. They know each other. They sit near each other on Sunday mornings. And he comes into a room and they just pray to Jesus. He just points her to Jesus. 
And it just brought her so much comfort. And her, her body started working again. I mean, good doctors and a healing Lord, right? I mean, it's, it's just a good... And I, and, I, and I went in the next day, not sure what I was going to encounter. It's just all good news. Jeff, I was anxious last night. God sent a friend. Jeff, I was worried about this. God's healing my body. And I just didn't want to run past it and be numb, but I just wanted to stand in awe and wonder and say, Jesus, you're amazing. What are you going to do next? Because that's our God. That's what he does. So this morning, I wanted to provide a little bit of hope. I wanted to point us to Jesus again, remind us of some of the basics of the good news. Remind you that you, I know you, you feel that way, so God, get away from me. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm coming near to you. And I'm the cure. <laughs> and I can work with you. And I know this pandemic has shaken us up a lot. But remember, God also wants you to work with him. There's work for us to do. And we might need to be creative in how we do it moving forward. But we've got to do it. It's work. It's too good. It's too important to not do. So I want to pray for us. And then we're going to enter into communion together. We're actually going to pass trays. We haven't done that for a while. We got our, we're rebuilding, as Sarah said, we're rebuilding a lot of our teams. We were rebuilding our ushers team, but we're, we're going to pass our communion trays. If you're at home and you didn't know we were going to do communion, if you want to run to the kitchen, I'm not overly picky on what you use. <laughs> I grab whatever feels like the bread and the wine for Christ this morning and go for it. But let's pray. Jesus, we want to pause right now. And this is a good, it's a good passage to get us thinking about our sin. I mean, I pray this all the time. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is just a room full of sinners. But we're reminded this morning that that doesn't frighten you. It doesn't bother you. You're not going to draw away from it. No, you're coming near. I mean, this is the thing that we see again and again in the gospel stories is that you are not contaminated by our sin, but we are cleansed by your love, by your holiness, by your forgiveness. And this is one of the beauties of communion, even now as we prepare our hearts, as, as, we, as Holy Spirit, as you convict us of things that we want to confess before you as we've kind of thought through some moments in our lives where we've seen our own limitations, we've tried again and again on our own, it hasn't worked, we're sick, we're tired, we're exhausted, we just want to go to bed. You, keep, you, keep, you just step into our boat. <laughs> you keep giving us stuff to do. It's good stuff to do. You keep drawing near. And we're going to feel the bread in our hands. We're going to feel the juice go down our throats. We're going to feel your nearness. You're the cure, Jesus. So we're preparing ourselves. We're confessing. We're going to sing a song where we, we're, going to, we're going to draw near to you. We're going to trust that, that you really can work with us. We're going to draw near to you, and we're going to receive forgiveness. We're so grateful you're here, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.